0: All right. We're back for another episode of the Royal Urban Mobile Podcast from Tokyo, Shibuya. Same place as always. I'm, Absolutely.
1: I'm Cliff. Chocolate Buddha in the house. We're just sitting here in this old school van, just kicking back, enjoying the breeze. It's a yes. little cooler than normal. Yes, nice little breeze. Yes. yes, sir. All the beautiful ladies walking around, you know. Uh, hey, what can we say? We're in the streets, man. Yeah. Perfect and, day. Know, perfect day. Inside the Mobile Man Cave. And, uh... The temperatures are perfect. The noise is perfect. We love it, man. It's For now, until, Tokyo
0: until like the uh, fucking QQ show. The the amp, the ambulance when I've come. They're serving to, the public, man, running down know? the street. Yeah, All right, yeah. just get straight to it and have our guest introduce himself.
2: Yeah, and this is a uh, Izzy, 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 Izzy Ains. <laughs> just try not. up. Just trying to match this, <laughs> the vibe, and trying room. to match the vibe Guys, and energy. Yeah. I'm trying to stay cool. All right? He's a
1: my keys, ain't my, ain't my I'm brother. I'm just trying to stay <laughs> as cool
2: as you two. Uh, yeah. Hi, I'm Ryan Ains. Ryan Ains, How, how's it going, man? You all right? It's good. It's good. This is, this is good. My coffee's beginning to kick in. Mm. The breeze behind my back is nice. What you think about the the cave? The mobile this is man. great. The uh, the mobile cave, the man cave. Yeah. This thing is pretty, pretty interesting. Got you. What's your favorite? Uh, Actually, I I think this is the only time that I've been in a car Uh that is not a cab ever in Tokyo. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. You don't own your own own ride, man? No.
0: Not in Tokyo, man. No. You don't need it.
1: Yeah, why not?
0: Yeah, you got cabs, you got trains, you got Yeah, yeah. the
1: most punctual system in the world. I Plus had a, the parking here is crazy, man. Like yeah. about what? Anywhere between 500 and 1000 bucks a month. Yeah. That's why I don't Just like for a parking to place to, in Tokyo. So
2: yeah. I had a car in New York. It was like a life goal of mine too, even though you don't need one. It yeah, just feels thing, yeah. you feel kind of like awesome having one. So I got a car in New York in Brooklyn. Uh Brooklyn. Drove it twice a year. That was it. Just to basically go to either ikea or to (laughs) travel back to ohio and see family that was it that That was was the only point of having that vehicle ever
0: yeah which is why i didn't have one when i was in new york yes yeah it's your global japan fam daisha and you are listening to the raw urban mobile podcast from my favorite corner in the world shibuya tokyo japan Yeah, man, so go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us who you are.
2: I mean, I, I know who you are, but the yeah. audience doesn't. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Ryan Ains. I am, uh, gosh, how do you describe myself? I'm a marketing <laughs> and advertising exec- executive. Uh, currently, I'm the executive director for Nielsen, uh, working here in Tokyo. I manage the Tokyo, Japan, uh, Korea, Hong Kong, Taiwan uh, marketing effectiveness teams. Uh, yeah. I love Tokyo. I'm also the founder of the Tokyo Digital Marketing uh, Bootcamp, and I'm also the founder of the Japan advertising and marketing community. We do events every month on marketing and advertising, trying to help people transition from traditional to digital marketing, and finally, I am the author of the blog Advertising in Asia. So it's a blog that kind of covers all the new trends, uh, everything else happening in terms of marketing and advertising, tech mobile, best I can do to keep up uh, happening in Asia. So really cool stuff. Oh, man. And I'm here with these guys this morning, and I'm going to do my best not to say anything that's going to put me in hot water <laughs> later. Thank you very much. That, that, was, that was a pretty smooth
0: introduction, man. That was. Yeah, it was, absolutely. Sounds like you rehearsed that. Man. <laughs> kind it, of. <laughs> whatever happens in the cave
1: stays in the cave. Remember that. Yeah. All until right. until it gets out. Until
2: it <laughs> gets on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: Cool, right. man. Yeah, we we we're gonna talk about uh, you know marketing in Japan. We're gonna talk about Jam. Uh, yeah. D- your group, your meetup group that you got going on that I've been to a couple of times. Yeah. 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 Good things happening. But yeah, let's let's start from not not the very beginning, but let's start from. Uh, so I remember you told me about prior to marketing and being an entrepreneur and all that, you were into film, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's take a step back. Um, wow. I think this is also the first time I've ever been interviewed on a podcast too. Oh, so cool. I'm uh you know, I've, I've been on TV several times and yeah, uh, yeah all that's rehearsed. That's all <laughs> that I spent like, uh, you know, they're like, hey, can you come in at two thirty, 30 and I'll get in there. But I've like, I prepared a script all day. This, uh, I was late coming here, no worries. I'm jamming on a, uh, a Starbucks right now, so uh, let's get it going. But yeah, so about a little bit about, about me. So yeah, so just to kind of take a step back, you know, my career started in uh, New York. So a lot of people assume that I went to uh, marketing or advertising school or media or whatever, and that is not the case. Uh, I actually went to film school. So I went to university and I majored in film, and my goal was to be a a film director, was to make movies. Uh, that's that's been my childhood dream. Everything, everything, my life was always about making movies, telling great stories. Mm. And uh, when I got to um, New York, uh, you know, uh, or so I went to school and I majored in film, and you know, my story is is really. It's really interesting. It's kind of like a um, it takes a lot of twists and turns, and there's like a forward and backwards, and like this point. But the the short ver- version is is um, you know a lot of people don't realize that when I went to New York, the first thing I did was not actually create a startup. The first thing I did was actually make a movie. So when I went to New York, I chose New York because when you ch- when you get out of film school, you kind of choose two places like Los Angeles or New York. Like where do you have the the best chance to to make a film and for me it was New York and you know a lot of people you know they want to work their way up in the film business but I don't know what it is about me maybe it's my entrepreneur spirit I was like no fuck that I'm making a movie I've got the script I've written it I'm going to make it and I'm going to go hustle my ass on the streets of New York and get the funding and make this movie and that's exactly what I did. Wow. So nine months into being in New York City I had a fully financed feature film. I had crew, team, um, I like I did enough If I wasn't, like, hustling, uh, building my, you know, kind of brand during the day, like, I was out at night, like, you know, being like, hey, have you heard of Ryan Ains? He's the next great director. Whatever. Uh, (laughs) I was getting into clubs, like, this is Ryan Ains. He's the director of dress rehearsal, a movie that hadn't even been made yet. (laughs) Um, And this is like, a long time ago. This is like, 2003. Mm. Um, So, you know, yeah. So, basically, made that movie. And the, the movie, well, it sucked um <laughs> I, you know actually made the movie and the movie didn't suck the movie's actually pretty good it was uh it, it really really uh artistic uh very indie film um very super hardcore uh you know deep you know uh you'd have to i think it was just like it would have been good in 1998 it'd been it been released gotcha. but like we were just in kind of like a time where like I know just what just bad timing I guess mm-hmm. but I did the movie and um it didn't really you know turn out like I thought it would and you know that was kind of difficult for me because I was so young at the time I really didn't know what to do like I'd gone from like zero to being like semi-famous right mm-hmm. and then what do you do from there right like like so Facebook's not around like all this stuff isn't yeah. around you just kind of like go from there to that and as a matter of fact after that movie, I had been getting, like, meetings from uh, people to possibly, like, be a, a director on soap operas and other stuff, and I was going into all these meetings. I didn't, like, know what to do with, like, my career or, like, what I had done. Like, everything just happened so fast. I was, like, I had no mentors, no nothing. I was basically lost. Like, I didn't even know, like, how, because the movie wasn't, didn't make any money. I didn't even know how to make it any money. So, um, and also this is a time when, like, st- Outside of like a dot-com company, no one's making startups in New York City. So if you're creating a startup, that just means a small business, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, matter of fact, small business was like the, was the, was the trend, right? Mm -hmm. Like small business, support small business, and then it became startup, and now everything's a startup. But, Mm -hmm. um, so after the movie, um, I really was kind of lost, and I found myself uh, working at a, I just needed to work, and, you know, I ended up getting a job. At a popcorn store on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, completely different popcorn store. Yes, completely different storyline. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did that happen? Well, it happens because you need money. Yeah, <laughs> and and honestly, it also happened a little bit because my ego. You know, I I would I had been like a director, and so I had all these people that kind of looked up up to me. As a matter of fact, there was a night when the movie was we had there's this big like after party for the movie, and I didn't even have like money to get like the car, like the Metro card yeah. to go to my own party with like, with like a uh, red carpet and everything else. <laughs> wow. Like I, I just was, I was, I didn't know, I just didn't know what I was doing. It was very simple. And so, and I was also too prideful to ask for help. So I didn't want to tell anyone that I was lost or that I needed help or that I don't know what to do next. And I also felt like, because the way the entertainment world works, which is very, very ugly, that once you get to that really high level, if you, take a lower step and ask to do something like PA on someone else's film, mm-hmm. it's people look at you like you're crazy, like, but you're the director. You paid me in the last movie. Like why would I, now you want to be a production assistant? Yes. It's really confusing. And I was confused. And so I just kinda hit out at this popcorn store. And this popcorn store, I was they're like, yeah, can, we, can you be the manager? And I was like, sure. I knew nothing about startups outside starting films. And so yeah, I was the manager of a popcorn store in the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And I worked at this place for a couple years, and a lot of people, you know, at first I was ashamed to work there. I wouldn't even tell anyone I worked there. <laughs> um, I just managed this place. It was me and like three, three. it was like the owner, and then like a, a couple employees, and you know, we were all pretty close building this business. Didn't really know what we were getting into at the time, but long story short, that popcorn store ended up being one of the largest popcorn CPG franchises in the United States. So we started off just like making popcorn in a, um, in, a in a bin. It's, I mean, it's a really simple idea. You basically just throw seeds in. The seeds cost nothing, and then you sell it for like 20 times the price, right? And everyone in New York is like, oh, this is so cool. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's called Popcorn Indiana. The Gosh. thing about it was we had nothing to do with Indiana. The owners were, like, three Jewish guys from, like, New York. Um, everything was just branded that way, and we were all making it up as we go. So everything we were doing, we were, like, you know, just making it up. Like, we were, like, like the flavors of the popcorn, uh, the chocolate. We were just ordering across the street and, 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 and microwaving it and and then calling it Chocolate Drizzle, you know, Like and then hired the chef off of Craigslist. Uh, you know, some guy, you know, whatever, I think he's, now he's, like, He had his like five minutes of fame as like the chef, you know, but like we're just making up all as we go. But what was really cool about that whole experience was is that as it grew and I kind of grew with it, I learned everything about um, how to make a business work. So it was great. Like when I made the movie, it was awesome. And now I was part of a business and I was learning how to make a business work. And from that point, what I did was I took that experience and I started using it towards future screenplays I was writing. So I was, you know, I was working on my next screenplay. I was working on my next, like, big production. And a couple of years had gone by, and I was starting to re, reignite my contacts in the industry. And I was like, you know, and actually the story, the movie I was writing was a film, a screenplay I wrote called The Adventures of Walter Bloom. Mm. And The Adventures of Walter Bloom was basically the modern-day Elephant Man film. So if you're familiar with the Elephant Man movie from, like, the the 30s or 40s or whatever, uh, I rewrote a storyline around that in which, uh, but it would be a lot more funnier. It was about more of a guy that, like, had this condition in this current social media era where everyone's, you know, taking selfies, and and this guy's got the Elephant Man syndrome. And so it's kind of a sarcastic sarcastic and satire uh, play on life and... um, and whatever. And, and so I was going to, and so, you know, I had everything lined up to, to make that movie, including actors that were going to play that role. And uh, I was talking to Macaulay Calkins' agent. I was going to try to, like, I was like, who's going to play this character? Maybe I can get someone who I can reinvent because this is such a really interesting role. We had music for the movie, we had everything going. But there was, there was a problem. And that was at that time, I was also doing something else, and that was a lot of volunteering as well so the movie was great and I was really excited to write that and and um you know oh man I'd also written another screenplay we'll get into that another time yeah. uh but anyways I'd written a couple screenplays this is the one I wanted to, to bring to market let me uh, oh let me, yeah let ahead. me let me
0: ask you something real quick so doing your first film and then you know working at this this popcorn store like you mentioned a few times that like you didn't really know what you were doing and So I'm just
2: wondering, like, how did you have the knack to, like, get your film financed? Ah, so, so when I say not know what I was doing, I think not knowing how to make money. Okay, not knowing how to make money. Yeah, so there's a difference between um, basically selling an idea and getting that invested and then, and then actually making money off of that. And, you know, not to say that, like, I was, gosh, I don't want to call myself a fraud or anything, but I was just a kid. But I just knew. Even as a kid, I knew I knew I had a vision, and you know, when I had that, when I was able to explain that vision of what I wanted this picture to do, um, people believed in it, and in you know, a lot of people, not just investors, but I had other really famous directors that I used to like study in school that were that would take me out and be like, you know, there's something about you, kid, you gotcha. know, like you've really got you got the thing, but a movie is like a startup you know they're a movie it's like it's a piece of art but it's also a startup it has for it to sustain itself it has to make money and so what a lot of people don't realize is that within movies the 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 picture is just the beginning uh outside of that there's a whole system of money making things happening like sponsorships branding Mm -hmm. um you know i I don't know bankable assets like there's all sorts of stuff going on to figure out how this thing can make you know money but i was just a kid and and actually, I also didn't know anything about marketing at that time either. I just assumed that because I had this vision and actually made it, and now it's going to play in a theater in East Village, everyone's <laughs> going to come and see it. And I was wrong. It was like that: if you build it, they will come. You know, <laughs> yeah. and, and that really hurt me. And that's, you know, that's, I think that's also another reason why I got really into marketing. Gotcha. Was I started looking more at like what I didn't want anything to fail again. I want to make sure that if I did something, people would see it. But I probably didn't learn the lesson. I think the biggest lesson I came away from the film was how to make money. But I didn't, it wasn't marketing as much yet. I think I got more into why marketing mattered around 2008. So, you know, I, you know the, the popcorn store showed me how to make money, how to turn a profit, revenue, and I learned about business. Mm-hmm. And when I was getting ready to make the next movie, I had everything kind of lined up. But I also realized, I also had another idea at the time because I'd been doing a lot of volunteering, and that other idea... Yeah, we got a, We got a festival going on behind us, so if you hear hey some... Hey, man, it's just... A, it's it's the universe. Yeah, support. that's right. It's
1: Japan, baby.
2: Yeah, so... Yeah. This is really... Inter- I haven't told these stories in so long. Uh, so, um, at the time of the next movie that I was getting ready to produce, everything was moving forward pretty proactively, and we were about to raise financing for what we would need. However... I had another idea at the time. Uh, this was like 2007, 2008, and I had this other idea because technology and social networks were coming out. And I had been doing a lot of volunteering at soup kitchens, homeless shelters, everything else in New York City. I've been—it's another side story of mine. I've been doing for years, and I realized that all these organizations really don't have the reach and tools that everyone else does. So. I came up with an idea at the same time I was making this movie uh, for a social network for nonprofits called YouGoServe, and the social network would give nonprofit organizations a profile, but also a back-end system where they could manage their volunteers through social media, you know, features, whatever. That got a lot of people interested, a lot, like like the money, like people were like, oh, how can I invest in that, like. And I was kind of in two worlds. I was, like, becoming all of a sudden about to be, like, a tech entrepreneur and then also, like, still wanted to, like, make a name for myself in the movie industry, right? Like, everyone kind of dreams being on the Academy Awards someday, right? But I don't know. I just sat there and I was like, man, you know what? Like, I don't know if I can put myself through another two, three years of making a movie and going through all that again just to see it bomb when this thing has immediate turnaround impact right here. And so I remember sending an email out to everyone day saying, I'm putting all this on hold. Uh, I'm not going to make this movie now. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to focus on this social network for nonprofits. So that's what I did. I basically shifted to that. Um, I got some investment for that, and I worked on that, and I thought everything. I thought this was the thing. This was, like, my success moment. Um, And I made that, uh, but that failed too. (laughs) 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 That at least... (laughs) <laughs> that got that like it's funny like, failing that, forward. Huh? Right? Yeah. No. Yeah, I think like and that's like something you learn is like how to fail. Right. So yeah. that that project got funded, got built, was out there, was moving. As a matter of fact, I ended up moving. That that thing was moving so fast, and I was having so much fun. I moved to Ohio because Ohio is my my target demographic was millennials like college students and ohio is in within a four or five hour driving radius of every major like university in the midwest and not only that but there's like just those are all the shelters and places that need the most help so i moved to columbus ohio for like six or seven months just to drive around to homeless shelters and soup kitchens and everywhere else to get them signed up on the platform uh-huh. but then also to market the platform to students so that they would volunteer i was doing all this by myself i was everything else and what can I say like at the end of the day, like I didn't realize the scalability investment needed for like a tech platform. So I had built everything else, but now that it was about to get reach, um, I needed more money. I needed to build into it. And I didn't have the knowledge at the time, I think, to with a development team that had the skills. So I hired really expensive developers, which means I needed more money, and I just didn't have all that built out yet. So you hit the streets and started hustling. Selling. I hit the streets. This is what Ryan does. <laughs> I hit the streets. I remember I went to, like, the most fascinating. You know, I'm really inspired by all the, uh, you know, there's the world we see and then the world we don't see. Mm-hmm. And the world that we don't see is, especially in the States, is, you know, all of these, like, homeless shelters and soup kitchens and, like, homes for, like, you know, trafficked people women and all of this stuff that's just going on that's living and I and that was really fascinating for me to see all that and I felt like I could really help that and the big thing for me though is that when the when the platform did not work uh, and I could not continue it uh, I had to shut it down and it really hurt me because I felt like I had like I had invested so much into those people and I feel like I let them all down. Hmm. So I went through like a good like time period of like, you know, it was, it was mentally hard to get past that because I felt like, wow, like, can you really do good in the world? You know, like those were those were problems I had. So anyways, sorry if I'm talking too much no, about stuff. What, what, what got you through that? Uh, you know, yeah, that's a good question. Like what gets you through like failure? Yeah. I think the hardest thing, about, about my journey personally has been, um, my inability to accept my own failures because I don't think we've up until now, we haven't lived in a world where it's okay to fail. Now failure is a cool trend, right? Where everyone's like, yeah, man, fail first, fail fast, fail
0: forward. Yeah. But
2: back then, if you made a mistake, it's like, you're a fuck up and and it's a reality like and everything else is fucked up and you're worthless Mm. and there's no answer to that and you have to fix it and make it right um so I think in that time period you know I could say like I wish I wish I had I could say like oh like my faith and you know my religion or whatever got me through it but I don't I can't say like that's such like that's such bullshit you know (laughs) like because you don't because it like We all know what it's like to like, you know, pray and then feel like you're not being heard and then just struggle. Mm -hmm. What got me through it was just perseverance. Yes. Right? It was just getting through it and just having faith that one day this will all be over as long as I persevere through this period, as long as I learn from my mistakes, as long as I figure out how to make things work going forward. And I think that was a big turning point for me personally in my life because after that startup failed, I realized that I don't have the answers anymore. And I was done trying to act like I did. So I realized these are my strengths. I'm a great storyteller. I've got a good vision. Um, and I really know um, these three things, right? But here's what I don't know. I don't actually know marketing really well. I also don't know business modeling that, that much, as much as I wish I would, or otherwise I wouldn't have had these last two things that failed. And um, I don't know, like, scalability. So, so what I did was I basically started creating my own education plan. So I went back to New York and I basically created my own like personal university where I would just order everything I didn't know books on mm. and all the way down to like the for dummies books. By the way, don't knock those things. They're <laughs> yeah. actually really if you don't know a subject, like I I ordered one like I mean, you know, back in 2009 or whatever. And I was fascinated by how much information you get out of it because if you don't know something on a subject, it starts you from the very bottom. And then it gives you all the different routes that you can take, all the different books that you should go through from there. And you can just start you know, becoming an expert from there. So whenever someone's looking to learn something, I actually recommend For Dummies books all yeah, the time. I, I, yeah,
0: I have a podcasting for dummies. Yeah? As a matter of fact, go I figure. started out with <laughs> Yoga
1: For Dummies, and I've given out hundreds of those copies. Yeah. Yeah, and plus yoga saved my life, so shit, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah. And, and you know, back then, you know, going back to what you were saying about let's say, not understanding failure. A lot of people back then, and it wasn't too long ago, didn't talk a lot about failure. Yeah. You know, they always talked about their successes Success, yeah. and things like that. So nowadays, yeah, you hear guys saying, hey, man, it's okay, man. I, you know, I just kept getting up, dusting myself off, and kept moving on, and I understood I had weaknesses, and, and they're they're not ashamed to ask for help these days. Plus, you got the Internet, man, so it's so many encouraging, Yeah, you know, things out there people sharing their their uh experiences and stuff and so you don't feel so bad about failure you know you could pass it on and shit you know
2: yeah i man i just wish that was around years ago you know yeah 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 yeah. instead it was like i remember having conversations with like maybe like my dad or something like it's like uh you failed time (laughs) to move on to something else you know and it was like god damn like isn't there another answer for this? It was a mistake, you know, like yeah. are we not allowed to make mistakes? Like these are all new like like social media wasn't around 3 years ago. Are we allou- I mean now we're learning, are we allowed to make a little bit of mistakes? So how,
1: how, If you don't mind my asking, how's your dad like in his 50s, 60s?
2: Uh my dad's great. He's uh he's like 70 now, but at that time I think he was like, you know, like 60 like or early, early 60s or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
1: I'm, I'm in my late 50s and you know, even his generation which is close to my mom's generation, of course it was all about hey suck it up, do something different. Why are you wasting your time with yeah, this? Yeah. You know, and it was that it was that tough Let's say Tough love. Yeah, tough love. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so it was their way of showing compassion. But yeah.
2: Yeah, know. Failure's I'm, good, man. I'm like my dad's like greatest nightmare. Like he loves me, but like he's 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 at the same company his entire life, you know. So to see me do everything I've done, he's always like, God damn it Yeah. He's like another startup but like and you know, but he I think he quietly supports it. He just doesn't want to let me know. Yeah. Um but it's all good. So but the the interesting thing was is that what I did do was after the the well oh, before you go on yeah. shout out to dad man. Yeah shout out to dad. Uh <laughs> Dane. Uh the social network although it did not work I realized um you know <laughs> man I'm not sure how deep to get on this podcast. Uh <laughs> go deep, man, as, go you want, deep as you want man. Well, no. that's why we're raw. Yeah, so I'll I'll go back to this story later cuz I feel like it it would it would hinder from the progress we're making. But yeah. one of the things that I did learn was, because I was, again, studying myself, is I learned how to basically like turn some failures into successes. So I realized that I couldn't support all these organizations because uh, the tech was gone. But what I did have was the organizations. I had all the organizations, their their information, and I know that they knew me. And at that time, one of the great things was is that even though my startup – failed, um, I was connected to all of these new social media innovators that are now the world leaders in social media. So, you know, Lewis Howes, who has the School of Greatness podcast, gotcha. you know, I don't, you know, you know who he I, is? I think you recommended. it. It's like one of the top podcasts, like top 10 podcasts in, in the States. He's also, he's on Ellen every couple of weeks, whatever. You know, at the time he was just a guy sitting next to me in a startup hub and was just like, I'm doing this like LinkedIn thing. You know, all this was brand new, and I got to become really good friends with him, and he's really good friends with Gary Vaynerchuk and, like, all these other people that were basically saying social media is going to be the future of everything, and everyone thought we were wrong. And I got to tell you, even though the startup failed, I was in the right place at the right time with the right people, oddly enough, in Ohio. (laughs) And so when I came back to New York, I was able to take these organizations and develop a consulting practice for them uh, where I could help them basically maneuver into this new area, right? Like work into social media and figure out how to like, uh, you know, use this to help get their organization some recognition out there. And I, and I started developing a name for myself, not as like a director or a film guy, but all of a sudden people started looking at me as this like marketing expert. And at the same time that I was doing that, I was, and I was doing that not only because I was trying to help, but I was also like, I realized my biggest failure, my fault was marketing. that I would always assume people would just like do something if I set it up in certain places but I was wrong and I read every single marketing book there was I just read and read and read and read there's not a marketing book out there that I have not read that's a tough thing to say but like seriously let's like do an audit one of these days (laughs) Um, because I just read and read and read and read so the first one was marketing for dummies man, I don't even know what it was. <laughs> it was, but like, and then I and then I started to, and then as I got more into it, I started like getting fascinated by it because I was realizing this is the one thing I didn't know and this might be the one thing that keeps all my companies from ever like succeeding, you know? And so I started, and then so I started building a name for myself and the next thing you know, I got a job as like a, you know, a company, a startup hired me as like their digital marketing manager, and then after that I got hired as the director of social media at another really cool startup in Brooklyn. And then this all happened within like, I mean, I was like in demand all of a sudden. Like all within one year, I got like the digital marketing thing, then the director of social media. I was there for like eight months, and then like uh, uh, Ogilvy uh, took me in as the VP of digital. Ogilvy is one of the largest agencies in the world and I was literally leading social media strategy direction everything else for like the largest brands in the world and it was amazing and it was so it was amazing like so even though like some of those startups didn't work um you know and I didn't have like a lot of people telling me it was okay to fail I realized that my failures were my strengths but that wasn't just a term you have to basically make them your strengths you know it's easy to say like oh my failures my strength let's go get coffee you know (laughs) but you have to take action and I realized that I wasn't going to survive in life nor were any of my visions going to survive unless I take action on these things so yeah man I just started like building this massive portfolio of companies that I was helping You know, like both small, but now at Ogilvy, it was large, it was American Express, it was LG, it was GE. I mean, um, I'm connecting with CMOs, global leaders, like I'm doing a lot of great work. And it's really fascinating. Um, What happened after that was, is this how cool am I supposed to like, is this the, am I telling the right story? Is this how this is supposed to go? Yeah. Uh, So what happened after that was I got the itch again you know, the entrepreneur itch. Okay. Um, I started just realizing- I thought you were
0: talking about that, uh, that Dave
2: Chappelle, Tyrone itch. No, no, <laughs> not that. I, started, yeah. I got the itch again. <laughs> and uh, so after Ogilvy, I feel like I'm telling my life story here. After Ogilvy, I started a, a, a startup called Edge. Edge stood for Entrepreneurial Det- uh, Determination Gu- Guarantees Efficiency. Um, my whole goal with Edge was to basically create an advertising agency because I had built such a name for myself, I really didn't need a company anymore. Uh, I realized I could get major clients on my own and I didn't have to worry about anyone else's BS or politics. Gotcha. So I created this agency. Um, I ended up growing it significantly. Um, uh, we won, you know, US agency of record for Jabra, lots of major brands, Steve Madden, Casio. I mean, I, just everyone, man. We just won, 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 won. I, I, could, go in, I could go into a meeting with like, and I was still studying, still studying, still still, still whatever, books. Uh, I, I, to this day I'm still studying, right? Like yeah. I consider like marketing and advertising and like consumer and content and all that stuff like an evolution. So grew that, um, and that's actually how I ended up in Japan. Gotcha. So long story, really long story, yeah. now taken short. I yeah. got, because we started growing, and I was super stressful because I was working, working so much, and then I got a, um, I was like, I'm gonna take a vacation, and where am I gonna go? And I realized I had gone to Tokyo once, like, you know, about ten, you know, two, maybe four, several years previous. And it was a really beautiful place. So I was going to go again, so I came to Tokyo for a vacation, and I was in a head, a, like, a headphone store, and I saw an ad that I had created in the headphone store.
0: Oh, because shit. Because it
2: was like for one of my global clients at my agency. So I took the manager of the store and did a photo in front of the ad, right? Because mm-hmm. it was for a headphone brand. Mm-hmm. And then I sent that photo to the marketing director in the U.S. And the marketing director in the U.S. sent that photo to the Asia marketing director. And the Asia marketing director emailed the next day saying, do you have an office in Japan? Because we've been trying to get reach out there. And I responded with, well, that's one of the reasons why I'm in Japan. I'm looking for offices, and I'm trying to figure out how to really penetrate this market. And so my vacation went into, uh, basically turned into like a giant networking frenzy. where I Although just, you
0: really came to get sushi, right? Yeah, yeah, right? Sushi.
2: <laughs> I just basically started like, I was like, hey, this is it. Next, next office is in Japan. And, and basically ended up uh, staying here for a little bit longer. Ended up, um, exp- uh, ended up doing that business, but also ended up winning the Google client out here. So, met the Google team, won Google as an account, um, and just started like traveling out to Japan more and more and more, mm-hmm. and developing more of a relationship with this place. Um, eventually, I exited from that previous agency, Edge, um, so I sold my piece off, and then I took some time, and then I created a, because I was getting more into content, so I created a vid- video publishing agency called Definition Media. We created like video content, social video content, whatever. Um, and then from there, um, I finally got to a point where I, you know, it's time to make a decision, like stay in New York or whatever, or come to Tokyo. And I decided to come to Tokyo and and expand this out here. So nice, nice, nice.
1: So what began as a sushi temples and shrines and shit tour ended up being, uh, yeah, a venture. Yeah. I think you asked,
2: you asked like the wrong guy to talk about his story because (laughs) I love to talk for starters and, um, you know, I, I know you do, man. That's I've got I, like a long, long, long story with. Like, well, lots yeah, of we, like, we're gonna have to do a part. Yeah, two. yeah.
1: Cliff told me he said, "Man, this dude loves to talk." I was like, "Hell, right up my alley." I love <laughs> to, uh, I love to talk myself, and I also love listening too. Yeah. So okay, so you get,
0: um, you get to Japan and, and and you look up. You see your your, the ad that you created in a yeah in a store, and and yeah. that was it. You just.
2: You were sold on Japan. I was sold in Japan, yeah, and and kind of so so basically won some clients out here, started going back and forth. Uh, eventually, you know, exited from that agency, sold my piece, and then started a new agency and and started working in video publishing and and just started hustling, traveling, whatever. But eventually, um, just kind of like you know why, why Japan? Just to make it very clear, you know, the more I came out here, the more relationships I developed, and maybe the less relationships I developed in the states, and. But I never stayed here because I never wanted to give up who I was in the States and who I was, was, well, I was, you know, not famous, but I guess like semi like known. Like, I mean, I was a guy that had started a lot of success, like a lot of companies now, like the successful ones were known. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I gotta say like my, I was so successful with my last two agencies that I was, you know, I would written for ad I had, I was on TV you know, I, I became kind of like at one point like a regular uh, guest analyst for Fox Business and Bloomberg Television where I would go on and just talk about digital trends. I became like an authority. Right. And and those things were very important to me. And I never wanted to give up that identity that I had created. And I felt like if I came to Japan, even though I loved it here, I'd have to give up who I was. So, you know, the the climax moment that I don't tell a lot of people for me was, you know, the year before I turned 40, I basically had a big decision to make, which was: do I go to Japan and really invest in that market and try to do something, or do I stay in the U.S. and keep building the company I was building and, and working twenty-four-seven, whatever? And um, I really was struggling with this, this decision. I was str- struggling with the fact that I was going to turn forty. I was asking a lot of questions around who I was. I was having heart conditions uh, just from like uh, high blood pressure and everything else, but I just didn't. I was like having a lot of internal like dilemma, like struggling mm-hmm. and. A N- lot of people don't know this unless they get me out after a few, like, cups of, uh, you know, whiskey or whatever. <laughs> but, well, basically, you know, the summer before I came to Japan, I was in New York trying to make a decision. And, basically, I collapsed. Um, I collapsed. I, I basically almost died. Um, I don't know what happened. No one really does. All I know is that I went to bed and then I woke up in a hospital. And um, I was, because I was visiting my parents at the time. Mm. But uh, I went to bed and I woke up, well, just the the whole story is actually this. Because I was so having such a dilemma about moving to Japan and moving to New York, and I was so in denial about wanting to come here to Japan, instead of coming to Japan, I left New York and moved to Santa Monica. So I was in Santa Monica for three months because that's like the content area, right? Mm -hmm. And that was great, but I still wasn't feeling fulfilled. And actually I left Santa Monica and while I was gone, I was visiting my family, my apartment burnt down in Santa Monica. It's not a joke. So I get this email from my roommate saying there was a roof fire and like your apartment. It, it, would, it was the only one affected. So I flew back to LA. It was like something at a fight club. Like my whole place was just had plastic all over it. Wow. And then I like lost everything. I had insurance, so it's all good. And then I um, just took an Airbnb that night and then flew back to the state. I'm sorry, flew back to Ohio. And I was in Ohio with my family, my parents. And I was just struggling. Okay, here I am. I don't know who I am in life. Uh, I don't want to let go of my ego. My apartment burnt just da- just burnt down. I don't know what's going on, and just all this inner stuff caused me to collapse. Uh, I went to bed and woke up in a hospital, and I had uh, you know tubes stuck in me and everything else. And I remember my dad just looking at me like, "What the fuck is going on?" And I'm like, "Where am I?" You know? You know? They they did brain brain scans, brain tests, everything else to figure if I had something serious going on. I guess I didn't, but, you know, I my, my doctor told me, I'm sitting there in this, this hospital bed, and I'm just out. I'm, like, burnt out, right? I'm just, I'm just done. And my, my doctor said, he goes, Ryan, there's nothing really wrong with you. Um, Although you almost died. He's, yeah, he goes, <laughs> it's amazing what you can do to yourself. He's like, there's nothing really wrong with you. He's like, you're just really unhappy. He's like, my recommendation would be for you to just find something that you love and just go do it whatever it is making like i like paper planes i don't know like (laughs) find something in life that you enjoy and just do it and then i remember this like like raspy voice because i still couldn't speak i was like i think i'm gonna move to japan (laughs) you know and and because i knew that this place made me happy in a way and i also knew that i was about to turn 40 and i was asking myself what i what i what would i do with the next 10 years of my life and i didn't want to spend it in the States hustling to be successful at something else again. I wanted to give my time away so I could help someone else. So that's what I did. That's why I came to Japan. Uh, left the hospital, just started planning right away, got my ticket, and came out here just trying to figure out how I could make the most impact, not so that I could be known as someone, but so that I could help people. And sometimes being known happens as a result, right? Like when you're yes. out there helping people, there's a result. But You know, my my goal here isn't to be like, who is Ryan Ains? My goal every day is to figure out how much I can give away, Um, because uh, at the end of the day, you know, at the end of your life, one of the things I realized was the impact that you actually make isn't by the story that you're telling. It's by the story that others are told around you. Because when I did wake up in the hospital, after everything I've done, after all the TV, after everything else, the only person there was, like, my dad and my mom. Exactly. There was not a single text message. There was not a single anyone waiting for me. And, and still, not for days. Like, another day or two went by, no one cared who I was. All that stuff I had created, all that stuff, nothing, of it, none of it mattered because it was all about me. Yeah. It wasn't about anyone else. So.
1: Yeah, it kind of reminded me of what Mike Tyson said. He said, man, once I lost everything, no one else was around. Yeah, yeah, but I, uh, I, sure. I wonder. Did your dad say, "Hey,
2: look, not another fucking startup"? Okay? <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so my dad was like, "So when I came to Japan, I don't think anyone really knew what I was going to do. Not even me. Uh, for all I knew, I was going to come out here and just like drink, uh, drink coffee, and you know, whatever. I don't know, like, <laughs> but I am who I am. I, I like so one of those things where like I can't change. Like, I am an entrepreneur, um, and so." when I came out here, I was doing a lot of social media stuff, but I was trying to ask myself what I was going to do. And the biggest thing I found was that Japan doesn't need another agency. Uh, Dentsu owns 70% of the market out here. Everyone else is just fighting for scraps. Uh, And that's something that you'll hear from me or hear from like a lot of other people that have been out here for, for a while so that they don't need another agency. What Japan needed was education. And so I created the Japan advertising and marketing community as a tool and resource to give everyone to basically pass on that education that I had learned myself the last 10 years to everyone here. And why? Because this place is struggling, right? Like, there is a massive need. Uh, I remember being, you know, when it comes down to it, like, There's people, like no one in the States is messaging me on how to do this or how to do that, either because the resources are there, there's too much pride. But here I'm getting emails and messages, everyone's asking for help. And it's like, well, I've I've created this, I've got this help that I can give away, so I'm going to give it away. And so I created Jam as a way to basically provide community so people could network, but also provide resources. So, you know, I have, like, the stuff that we give away at the events. That's what makes jam so significant is that our events are – we're giving secrets away. Yes. And we're giving away things that no one's going to tell you because everyone's everyone wants to, you know, be on top. It's like, well, instead of trying to be, like, so, you know, whatever, like, have you pay me for so much? I'm going to give everything away for, like, 2,000 yen, you know? And – And see where that takes me, but it's it's provide that networking event, that networking like uh, you know whatever. But it's also provide the online resources, so the online classes we have as well. You know that's that's something I really enjoy kind of creating and and whatever, and and creating Jam basically has been you know a journey uh, of like learning and just figuring out what what's needed in Japan. So because of Jam and because of the uh, I guess the reach of that, I was able to get more clients here. Work with more people, get recruited by a company like Nielsen, um, one of the largest companies in the world, because of the impact that's happening here. And now I'm working with them and so many others to make a, a substantial difference in this area. So,
1: so what I've gotten out of this conversation is that your journey has been a lot about giving, you know, helping people. Like, you know, you were helping the homeless. Is is it, it seems like. That's where your energies are. And uh, as a result of that, I guess it's a lot less stressful for you now instead of trying to be that famous guy to get his name out, as you were saying earlier.
2: Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to do like a podcast part two on that. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, a lot of that comes from my, you know, faith. Uh, I am probably one of the most liberal Christians there is. I don't even, li- I don't even like calling myself a Christian. <laughs> uh, and I, you know, I struggle with the church, everything else. But I do, I can't change what I know about like the person of, of Jesus. Yeah. And so for me, that means love. And so my life, regardless of who I, whatever I, whatever I've done, whatever I've wronged, whatever that I can't change the fact that I know that there's still love out there. And for me, I get my energy when I give it away. And that's really contradictory to a lot of those like self-help things you see now. Everyone's like, hang out with people smarter than you or whatever. Mm. And I'm the opposite of that. I'm like, no, hang out with everyone that's less than you. You know, mm-hmm. because and then give away everything that you have so that they can be greater. You know, like I that's that's what I believe. That's my that's my philosophy on life. That's actually what gives me energy. Um and I think that's also what helps make the world go around. You know absolutely, I, yeah.
0: I don't I don't know if I'm accurate on this, but I've felt like, you because know, 'cause I've probably in the last year I've been I've gone to a lot of uh meetups and, and professional development type of things and you know, and I've been to gym. I feel like Because we're in Japan, you know, foreigners, and we're such a small group, I feel like the chances of meeting people who are on, I guess, different uh, levels in their career is greater than it is in the States. Like, you know, someone like yourself, who's been, you know, done all types of things and been on TV and worked for different companies and For me to come to an event like Jam and then come across you, I just felt like it would be a little harder in the States to do that.
2: Yeah, it is a little harder um, because, again, in the States, everyone's driven by the ego, including me. And so people won't want to go to certain events if they're at a certain level because they don't want people to know that they're there. Exactly. I think here it's completely different. Um, If you don't have that, like... Listen, we can argue about this, but if you don't have that like mentality about just giving and caring and loving, regardless of people's class or level here, you'll never get anywhere. Mm -hmm. Because that's what makes the foreigner community or the bilingual community so fascinating. There's there's events where I've gone to and I have to admit, like I'll go to an event and I will say to myself, I don't want to go here because I feel like this event is going to be just a bunch of like, people with Asian fetishes or something (laughs) like that and but I'm like but that's like the the negative side of me I have to look at the positive side which is like you know like we're all in this together like it's not about what they can give you it's about what you can give them Mm. so go in there and figure out what you can give them and when I've done that uh, I've met like people uh, Japanese others like at, like, levels that I would never, like, like, I met this girl who was, like, the head of data at this, like, really, really major company. I can't say the name of. Mm-hmm. And then because of that, she took me to, like, the Christmas party there. And I got to meet, the, like, the head of Japan and all that stuff, all because I went into an event that I didn't want to go to, that whatever, but I just said, like, hey, go because of thinking, think, think of what you can give away, not what they can give you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I really love the uh,
0: the community here. Like you said, the bilingual Slash, uh, international community here um, and, and that's what we try to highlight on the podcast too we've had you know we've had a um, startup lady shout out to startup lady and Code chrysalis yan and connie
2: so there's a lot of good stuff yeah, happening now yeah. yeah a lot of
0: people giving like you said
2: yeah yeah and i think that's also part of so part of japan so there's two main i should write a book on this one day but what's, what do you see
1: there's two Oh I have this fetish for uh, Chevy Vans. Oh okay. Because I own one. So every time I see an old school ride, dude, I'm like I get a boner. But anyway. All right.
2: Yeah. So there's I've I've kind of created this theory in Japan that there's two main the two main keys of success. And that is like social proof and social capital. Social proof is the concept of having online credibility. So whatever you're, whatever people are saying about you online, the reputation you're building, all that stuff. But the second most important is social capital. And this is important for Japan unlike anywhere else in the world. Social capital is like your offline credibility. It's the amount of likes that you have offline that no one can see but everyone assumes based on your name, right? And that is true. Because of everyone's name and the heritage here, whatever, and re- whether you like it or not, that applies to you now as a foreigner because you're here. Yes. You're in Japan, so your name, Ains or whatever it is, it's gonna people. It's not you're not you don't have the same name as Sony, but there is a the social capital means that people are gonna look at your name and and immediately make a judgment call as to whether that is a name of integrity or a name of like whatever. And the only way that you can create that integrity from the bottom up isn't by Um, promoting and putting your face everywhere it's really by giving away you know it's like the what was it called APA hotels or APA I'm not ever sure how to say it there's like that lady's face there all the time no one knows who that lady is and and she hasn't changed my life I just I know who she is but I would never I, I don't know her name or anything like that but yet she loves having her face everywhere but has she really done anything that's changed my life or whatever No, and so i don't really know what her social capital is right but if you're here in japan you spend your days giving away and helping and and sacrificing for others and doing all that stuff you're going to build a reputation for yourself that's going to help you succeed and not that you should do it to succeed it kind of happens organically right you're going to do something that's going to help you i guess survive or stay alive in a place that's built by those rules awesome absolutely
1: now enough all this business talk what about your social capital? Where do you party? What do you What do you like getting <laughs> into? You know.
2: Uh, yeah. How much time do we have left? Yeah, uh, uh, we got about
0: five minutes. Yeah, Thank five God. minutes. All Thank right, Thank you Lord.
2: Party, have, time. <laughs> party time! Party right. time! Yeah. Okay. 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 So, good question. All right. So, yes, I think that's like a that's a de- that's definitely like a difficult part of Japan is because you know I do like to I guess not party but yeah I mean, I like to have fun right and there's a lot of there's a lot going on here and so. I think, like, my, my favorite aspects of Japan... There's two things that I really like. I don't go to clubs here, so maybe I'm just too old for clubs. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, I just I just don't. I And also, I've DJed a few times in Brooklyn, and so, like, I get really angry at, like, a bad DJ. <laughs> I'm like, no, dude, like, just... No one needs to hear the techno that loud for no reason. Like you have you've got like the the iPod up there that you're using but you're moving around acting like you're d- using all this other equipment <laughs> it's just an iPod we all know what's going on there yeah. <laughs> you know like and you have the chance to play some really good music but you're just it's like do 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 you know <laughs> so i just hate clubs um, so for me like when i'm when i'm out i really like to go to like craft beer bars nice so uh, i'm a big like craft beer guy and which you know kind of sucks because you know the older you get the, the worse the hangovers are but i love craft beer so I like BrewDog and a couple other places, and um, yeah, like uh, it's it's nice. Um, in terms of like fun and all other stuff, I think what I like about Japan outside of the craft beer is, is the coffee. So I think that Japan has like a coffee culture, unlike anywhere else in the world. Really? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not a big coffee guy, so I don't I'm, I don't know any about. Yeah, so that. one of the things that oh man I could talk about this forever so one of the fact because I it like to be read be part three yeah right so I like to read right I like to say so it's not even about business like a lot of my education schedule that I create for myself is around like you know my mind uh, I, I love studying the brain for mm. example um, we could talk about that some other time neuroplasticity part four yeah mm. uh, but um, unlike anywhere else in the world uh, Japan has this like really unique cafe culture where every cafe is like its own experience mm. you know um before Starbucks got really big here, uh, the independent cafe scene was like blowing up, yeah. and a lot of that was because of not only like the the in, like all the tourists coming. So like the the study that came out in Time Out magazine, uh, one hundred and twenty. Millennials in Japan or Tokyo are foreigners, according to Time Out magazine. So you, you got all these foreigners who probably have like gig economy type jobs, uh, right? Aren't working at, at like, you know, actual companies. So they're working out of cafes and stuff like that. So all this is happening. So Japan's always behind. But when it does catch up, it catches up really fast. And so this like cafe boom is happening where like people are going to coffee shops and every coffee shop is unique. And also Japan is a place about craftsmanship. And so all these pour over places are like making really amazing coffee, whatever. Starbucks blew up because of their ability not to create like another Tully's, but to really create like another experience um, to Starbucks reserve, right? And really match that experience. And then also say like, okay, one more coffee. You know, that was, like, game changer, right? So, like, you buy one, you know that next one's half off because they know you're going to be sticking around or, you're, or they know you're going to be going to other cafes. Like, people go to cafes so much here, yeah. not only for working, but also just, like, meeting with people. You right. know, So I love to meet with I, I try to meet with, like, three people a day. That's my goal. So outside of, and it's not work, related. Really, it's just like, hey, what's going on? How are you doing? You know, whatever.
1: How about the old-school coffee shops? You ever visit those, like, the the ones that are ran, like, by the... Dude. Old mama sons and papa sons, man, where you can smell that roast. Oh, you can man. see those roasters yes. back there. Because I came back here, I came over here in 1980 and uh, I was like, man, there's so many coffee shops. A lot of them are gone because of the, you know, big, massive yeah. chains like Dotour and yeah. and uh, Veloce and and Starbucks and Tullys and all that. Seattle's best, but uh, yeah, the old school ones, yeah, you know, you, those, you know, those are good. Yeah, they are totally awesome. And I also found out. I was like, man, all these coffee shops. So I started reading, and Japan had this history with the Dutch back in the 1800s. You know, really big. You, you might want to read up really? on that, man. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. So their coffee history is pretty rich here.
0: All right, man. Jam is on Facebook. Yeah, Jam's yeah. on Facebook, Facebook, yeah. Oh, so
2: uh, the Tokyo Jam. I should just, I should be promoting this more. Yeah, 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 I'll put it in. I'll put the so link on. Yeah, So it's the Tokyo, facebook.com forward slash the Tokyo Jam. Mm. Um, that sounds so lame. <laughs> but uh, that's the only URL I could, could secure. Yeah. So, yeah. Appreciate
0: it, man. Hey. Yeah, thank great you. Great story, it, man.
2: Yeah, yeah. You took us on a journey. Man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I'm pretty sure I said, like, nothing that's going to get me in trouble. And, like, yeah. good. Yeah. good. Like, <laughs> he was
0: on a podcast back in yeah. 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 All right, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, man. All right. All right. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. All right. All right, guys. From Peace. Tokyo. Thank you for listening to the War yes. Urban Mobile Podcast. For more episodes, please visit rump.podbeam.com or you can head straight to Google and type in Raw Urban Mobile Podcast. You can also listen to us on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you can stream or download podcasts.